It's the first time I've ever preached a sermon. Um, it's something that started probably about a year ago. It was right around um, February. I felt like God was saying, hey, you need to, you need to preach at North Church. And uh, it was something I shared it with Stephanie. And we prayed about it. And it was like, yeah, we're going to do this. But it was right around the time I was running for city council. So it was really easy to just put it on the back burner and kind of put it away. Um, it was about maybe a week or two after, you know, I had made that decision that, yeah, this is something I should do, but not now. So we're sitting at Rick and Jen's house. Me and Steph and Rick are sitting at his table, and uh, he, Rick, out of nowhere, I don't even think we were talking about anything yet, Rick says, hey, what do you think about preaching a sermon at North Church? So it was one of those total God moments where you're just like, oh, yeah, I guess that is something you said to me. Um, so there's tears, there's laughing, and it brings us to today. So it took a while to actually <laughs> follow through, but we're here today on uh, December 31st preaching. So um, I don't feel adequate to do this message. I, uh, the whole process has been really tough. Um, you get to deal with a lot of insecurities when you're prepping for a sermon, and that's always fun to do. You know, <laughs> everyone admits, loves admitting that they have insecurities. You know, it brought tension between me and Stephanie. I, she would ask me about the sermon, and I'd be like, don't worry about it. I'm working on it. <laughs> um, but, so whenever you're responding to these, these nudgings from God, it, it, a lot of times it's, it's not comfortable. And uh, that doesn't mean we should run away from it. So um, sometimes we want to run away, and sometimes we don't agree with the plan, and uh, sometimes we don't, we'd rather just be comfortable. Um, and this morning we're going to talk about a prophet that reacted in many of those same ways when his, to his calling from God. Um, so we're going to talk about Jonah this morning. Now, Jonah is a four-chapter book of the Bible. It had nothing to do with my decision to talk about Jonah. <laughs> it's actually interesting that when I, when I gave my story uh, a couple years back, I think I said, I feel like sometimes I feel like Jonah. Sometimes I feel like I might benefit from three days in a whale. Um, so that was part of the reason that, that I came back to this book of the Bible. Um, also, I think that the, Jonah, a lot of times, it's just, it's this like uh, children's ministry lesson that we give. We, we just teach about Jonah being swallowed by a whale, and that's kind of all we talk about. But there's just so much more in Jonah. Um, the main character of Jonah is not the whale. The main character in Jonah is God's compassion and his character. And that's what we're going to focus on uh, today. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, we're going to dive in. <clears throat> Lord, I just, I just thank you for this opportunity this morning, Lord, and I just pray that uh, you just calm, you calm all, our nerves, Lord, you calm my nerves, and that you um, remove distractions, and that you just uh, bring us uh, face-to-face with your character that's re- revealed in this book of the Bible, Lord. Um, I pray that... Uh, that your message is delivered through me clearly. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to look at how Jonah responds to God's instructions. During the, st- during the story, we see Jonah three ways. We see Jonah as a runaway. We see Jonah as a hypocrite. And we see Jonah as a comfort seeker. Very early on, like the first chapter of the, bu- of the book, we see Jonah as a runaway. I'm going to read uh, from chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It's going to be up here too, I think. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, 
for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So we see right off the bat, Jonah's got a clear, he's got a clear communication line with God because he says, I mean, the word of the Lord speaks directly to him. It's very clear. And the instructions are not confusing. It's arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it because its sin has come before me. So he, he, he receives these clear instructions. They couldn't be more clear. It's not like God sent him down an Ikea table and the little pamphlet with 4,000 pieces and two stick figures and said, figure it out. It was really clear. It said, go to Nineveh. But Jonah's immediate reaction is to run away. I mean, he goes down, he gets a ticket to, on a boat that's going the complete opposite direction than Nineveh. It's, it's sailing as far away as he can sail. And when he boards the ship, he goes all the way down into the bottom of the ship. He doesn't just stay at the top level. He gets down deep. He's hiding. He's running away from God. He's decided to hitch a ride with strangers to outrun God's presence. Now, it's easy to read this. It's easy for me to read this. I think it's easy for us to read this and say, really, Jonah? You had such clear instructions. You're such a punk. You ran away. But really, how often do we do the same thing in our lives when we, when we hear a clear calling from God? I mean, I didn't want to preach this morning. I thought there wouldn't be that many people here. <laughs> I was hoping it would snow, because if it snowed, I wouldn't have to be here. So I wanted to run away. I also think about the time I switched jobs. I was working at one company, and I got this opportunity to go work at, at, uh, at Rideaway, where I currently work. And uh, I, was, I wasn't really happy where I was at, but I wasn't looking for a different job, and this opportunity came out of nowhere. It felt like totally like God's provision for... Uh, that he created this opportunity for, for me to go work it right away. So I prayed with Stephanie about it, and we felt like that's where, like we were being led in that direction, so I took the job. Well, it was, a, it was a lot different place to work. I went from working at a corporation to working at a mom-and-pop shop. So there was a lot of different moral levels at this company. Um, so within maybe a week of starting my new job at right away. Even though I felt so secure in God's calling to go there, I wanted to run away. I wanted to flee. I mean, I was, I was still learning my job. I would make up reasons that I needed to leave the office so that I could call my wife and cry to her about how I ruined our lives, about how I, we, I needed to go back to Brickman. I needed to run back to Brickman. I couldn't do this. I had totally ruined our lives. I mean, it was that, it was that quickly that I'd I went from being secure in that calling to being wanting to be a, a runaway, just like Jonah ran away. See, the thing is, is that the people at Rideaway, they need Jesus. And I knew they needed Jesus, but I didn't want to push into that. I wanted to flee. All right, let's go back to the text. I'm going to read chapter, uh, from chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. 
But Jonah had gone down deep in the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down, and he was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps your God will give us a thought that we may not perish. So Jonah's running away, and, and God, God decides that he's going to get his attention. He's going to send this supernatural storm to the, to the ship to try to, wake, to try to wake Jonah up. And the thing is, is this storm had to, I mean, this must have been a wicked storm. You're talking about mariners who've probably made this trip tons of times. They've sailed, they've experienced storms. But these guys are freaking out. This storm is different. This is supernatural. They think, they know that someone has crossed their God. They want, they want everyone to call out to their Savior and, and ask them to spare them. This isn't just a normal event. And this whole time that this is happening, the storm's been sent, Jonah's asleep in the bottom of the boat. He's able to sleep through this storm. He's quelled God's calling to go to Nineveh so well that he's actually able to sleep through a supernatural storm that's sent by God to get his attention. So the mariners, they find him sleeping, and they tell him, hey, dude, wake up, call out to your God. We're going to die. I mean, it just so clearly illustrates how content Jonah is in running away from, from God's calling, from his instructions. I mean, let's think about how mentally and physically comfortable you have to be to fall asleep. Imagine how comfortable you'd have to be to fall asleep in the bottom of a boat in a supernatural storm. I mean, imagine on a raging sea in the middle of the ocean. So part of my job, it, it involves snow removal, hence why I thought I might not have to be here this morning. Um, <laughs> When there's a storm that's coming, a, a winter storm that's coming, um, say like they're calling for an event tomorrow at, or overnight tonight, I'm going to have to be at work at midnight, I'm home early, I should be sleeping, I should be getting rest. I can't get rest because I'm thinking through all these scenarios, all the stuff that I have to get done in order for the storm to go smoothly. But physically I'm tired and mentally I'm tired, but I'm running through all these details. Yet Jonah, attempting to outrun the God of the universe, is so comfortable he can sleep through a storm. Mentally, physically, and emotionally, Jonah was not fretting about his decision at all. He's able to sleep. So when he's awoken by the mariners and the storms upon them, because of his disobedience, Jonah doesn't even repent of his sin. He doesn't he doesn't turn from, he doesn't say, okay, God, I, get, I got it. I get the instructions. I'm running away from you. Instead, he wants the mariners to just throw him overboard. Just kill me. Just put me in the ocean. Yes, it's my fault. I'm not worried about you guys. I still want to run away. I would rather die than, than, than go to Nineveh. He's more concerned with fleeing God's instructions, even if it means his death. There's an interesting thing that happens at the end of chapter 1 that it's not really related to Jonah being a runaway directly, but we have to talk about it. And that's that God actually uses Jonah's disobedience to lead the mariners to salvation. In chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, he says, it says, So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It's so cool that God can even use your disobedience to save people. This occurrence simply points back to the, the fact that God is in control 
And he even uses our own disobedience to lead people to salvation. He has, God has a plan. He's always in control. All right. So the next, the next uh, character trait or response that we see from Jonah in the story is that Jonah the hypocrite. So they throw him overboard. The storm ceases. The mariners are saved. Jonah is saved also by this big fish or whale. It's probably not a whale, probably a big fish. It comes and, it's, and it swoops him up out of the depths and it saves him. I mean, he's going to die. He's going down to the bottom of the ocean. He's going to die. After that happens in chapter 2, Jonah spends an entire chapter in prayer to God. And he's praising him for his grace and his mercy that God has bestowed on Jonah. I'm going to read from Jonah chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. That's part of his prayer. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regards to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah up onto dry land. So the, the Lord hears Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving from the belly of the fish, and he, command, he commands the fish, he appoints the fish to vomit Jonah onto the beach. And again, God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah obliges. He might not be happy about it, but I guess three days in the fish got, to, got his attention, and he's like, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. So he goes to Nineveh to deliver this prophecy that God had sent him to go there. He goes, and in chapter 3, verse 4, he delivers the prophecy. He says, uh, he's walking through Nineveh, and he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now Jonah's message is, it has a great effect on the Ninevites. It's this simple message but it has a great effect on the Ninevites. It, has, it affects the, the citizens. It affects the king. It's heard by everyone. And they, they decide that they're going to repent. And they go into a time of fasting, and they put on humble clothes, and they turn from their evil ways, and they're saved from imminent destruction. This message delivered by Jonah saves a great number of people from life in hell. Seems like a win, right? I mean, this is good. We just, I just saved all these people. Well, Jonah's not very happy that that's what the outcome was. His displeasure can be seen in the second prayer, in the second prayer which is in chapter 4, verses 1 through, th- 1 through 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? 
So Jonah's angry that all these Ninevites were saved. And I think he's angry because he doesn't believe that the Ninevites deserve the same compassion that he deserves. When Jonah is saved by the fish in the ocean, he's acting in sin. He's fleeing God. He's, he's asked them to throw him overboard, to, to flee God. He's in sin. He, his sin then is no different than the Ninevites' sin when he prophesies through the streets. Everyone is deserving of God's compassion. And Jonah is not the one that should be making the decision who is and who isn't. He's being a hypocrite. Throughout his entire, this entire story, God gives him compassion time and time again. But when someone else experiences it, he doesn't feel that they're worthy. He doesn't think, I mean, Jonah doesn't like the Ninevites. But aside from that, it doesn't even matter what someone does. They still are afforded that compassion from God. The, the, sin, the sin doesn't separate you. Jonah's sin separates him no differently than the Ninevites' sin separates them. Jonah believes that he deserves God's compassion, but he does not believe that all people are deserving of it. So, some of you, some of you know me better than others. I am not a compassionate person. So this is an interesting, I feel a little hypocritical stating that fact. Um, so I, Steph said I, would, I could tell this story. There was a time, um, there was a time when Stephanie, let's see, oh, I just started right away. So it was around, it was in 2013, and I had just started my job um, at my new spot, and I didn't want to call in sick because uh, Steph wasn't feeling too well. We did have two small children. She was at home with them, taking care of them. She was sick. But I felt like she probably needed to just suck it up. She probably wasn't that sick. Um, and I just started this new job, so I couldn't, I couldn't call in sick. I, know I can't take off any days. So my wife uh, loads up our two kids and drives to the, to the doctor's office. And uh, she gets there, and they're like, uh, yeah, this isn't great. They make her wear one of those masks, like she's in Hong Kong. Um, they put her in the waiting room by herself, um, and her doctor comes in and, and takes her temperature. Her temperature is 103.7. <laughs> so, <laughs> and she needs to just get over it. <laughs> Uh, the doctor says, what do you, what do you, what do you these kids? Find a babysitter. You need to go home and sleep. I can't believe you're here. And uh, the, she says, you know, you probably have a mosquito-borne illness. I'm not even going to test your, I'm not even going to test your blood because you're so sick. You just need to go home and rest. Now, when I'm sick, <laughs> I want compassion. I want my wife to take care of me. I don't want to have to go to the doctor with my two kids. <laughs> so I'm really, I really need to focus in, I think, on that. <laughs> that everyone deserves God's compassion, or even just in our own lives, we need to be more compassionate people. Um, so I do joke with her because she never got the blood work. She likes to tell people she had West Nile, and I like to say, no, you had a mosquito-borne illness. Um, I probably should stop. 
All right. So in this final chapter of Jonah, we see Jonah as a, as a comfort seeker. He's just uh, prophesied to the, the Ninevites. It, you know, it, the message got through. Everyone's coming to, to know God. But he's not happy, so he goes out on this hill. He finds this hillside near Nineveh where he can sit on this hillside and he can observe what's going to happen to the city. Uh, part, partially, this is because he's a prophet, and he just prophesied that their city was going to be destroyed. So if it's not destroyed in 40 days, he kind of looks like a punk in his mind. So he wants to sit up on this hill, and he wants to see what happens to, to Nineveh. And he, I guess he builds this thing. They call it, uh, he calls it like a, what's he call it? A booth to stay out of the sun. Um, he must have not, I don't know, he must have not been very handy. Because within a short period of time, he's just, he's sitting in the full sun on this hillside. Um, let's read, we're going to read, uh, I'll read from chapter 4, verses 6 to 11. To, we'll see what happens next. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked what he might, that he might die It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And also much cattle. So Jonah's on the hillside, and he's angry, and God gives him this plant, and then he takes it away. And Jonah's more worried about the death of the plant than he is about the the Ninevites, because the plant was affording him comfort. The plant was keeping him out of out of this direct sun. He was exceedingly glad about the plant. But as soon as his comfort's taken away, he says he would rather die. He's actually more upset about the plan of the death of the plant than he is about the imminent destruction of the Ninevites. He's more worried about his own comfort. The plant, it could be thought of as an example of God's compassion. Jonah doesn't do anything to deserve the plant. It grows overnight, which that's not normal. He has nothing to do with it, and it's God's to give and it's God's to take away, but he's more concerned that that plant's death because of his own comfort is lost than he was of the Ninevites. So many times, we'll respond to God's leading only when it's comfortable for us to do so. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't think anybody really likes to be uncomfortable. But it shouldn't prevent us from response. I know I've had times where I've been called to do things and I've rejected the leading because I think it's going to be uncomfortable. Let's go back to right away. I've worked at right away for five years now. I know God sent me there. We've established that. I've felt specifically led at times to be more open or bold about my beliefs or to push into conversations with coworkers or to use situations like family members' deaths to, to show people the gospel. 
I, I don't want to do that because it might make it weird. It might make it uncomfortable for me. I'm seeking comfort instead of worrying about my coworkers' eternal lives. That's a convi- this is convicting. I've been convicted of this over, the, over this sermon prep. Yes, I was called there. I know I'm called there. I know I have a mission there, and I need to respond to it, whether, whether there might be some loss of comfort or not. So we're going to close out our time today taking a look at some application of what, we, what we've learned from Jonah. I think it's really important to look, that this is a really important step when we're studying the Bibles, that we look at what we've learned and how can we apply it to our lives. Um, otherwise, what's the, what's the chances of us really taking action? Plus, it's New Year's Eve, and everybody loves New Year's resolutions. Maybe you, maybe you don't. I, don't. I don't think I've made a New Year's resolution in a long time, but I'm, I'm going to challenge us that this year we embrace these resolutions, that we use this as a time that we pray and we ask God, where is God leading me? Where am I not responding to his leading? Where am I being a runaway or a hypocrite? Or where am I seeking comfort? This is a good time of the year to do that. It is kind of cheesy, the New Year's resolution thing. It's cheesy, but that doesn't mean it has to be for us. We can embrace it, and we can, we can ask God these questions. The ESV Study Bible states that the primary purpose of the book of Jonah is to engage readers in theological reflection on the compassionate character of God. This is the important part and in self-reflection on the degree to which our own character reflects his compassion. To the end that we may become vehicles of this compassion in the world that God has made and so deeply cares about. So as believers, we're afforded great compassion. We see Jonah afforded this great compassion in the story time and time again. The thing is, is that we have a tendency to minimize our role in that rebellion against that. We choose to rebel against our Savior. We set him as our enemy. And even so, he still, he reached down and he saved us through Jesus' work on the cross. He extends us compassion even as we make him our enemy, even as we run away, even as we're hypocritical, even as we seek comfort. I mean, think right now about your worst sin. Think about the sin that you don't even maybe admit to yourself. Think about the sin you don't want anybody to know about. That sin's forgiven. That sin's forgiven. That's compassion. We don't deserve that. Now, our reaction to the full understanding of that compassion, it has to be action. If we're coming face to face with that true compassion, we have to be spirited to move forward, to react to the calling. This compassion should propel us forward in the direction that he has for us. And yet, we tend to be more like Jonah and hold it for ourselves. We want to keep our compassion to ourselves. So this is the question, what's your Nineveh? I know my Nineveh is where I worked. I've talked about it. I know my Nineveh is where my kids go to school. What's your Nineveh? God's calling us all to do something. Now, it probably doesn't look like what Jonah had to do. We probably don't have to walk through our neighborhoods with a blowhorn and a Bible and tell people that in 40 days they're going to be 
that God's going to strike them down. I really doubt. Maybe, but probably not. We're all called. The thing is, is that we all have different callings, but we all have one central calling, and that's to make disciples of men. It's our mission. It's a, it's a universal calling for Christians. We're called to spread the gospel. Maybe you're called to love your neighbor. Well, you're probably, I know you're called to, to love your neighbor, but maybe you're specifically called to love one of your neighbors. Maybe you're called to make them cookies or shovel their driveway. Maybe you're called to go out to drinks, go out for drinks with that coworker that just gets on your nerves. Whatever it is that God's leading you to do or whatever he's asking you to do, it probably will be uncomfortable and you might want to run away from it or it might reveal your own sin. The book of Jonah is meant to be a measuring stick. It's meant as a mirror. It's, one of the, it's the only prophetic book in the Old Testament where the, the prophet is the actual subject of the book. It's a mirror. We should use this story to identify areas in our lives where we're not walking out God's mission. And it's going to be convicting when we do this. Asking these types of questions are convicting. I know I've felt convicted through this whole process. The key, though, is to not be paralyzed in this conviction. Instead, we should embrace God's compassion and let it propel us into action. So as we enter response time this morning, I want us to focus our attention on the immense compassion that we're afforded. And I ask God to reveal this to us through whatever means, which is one of those scary prayers that I don't like to pray. Because a lot of times that means that there's going to be maybe some pain or there's going to be something you've got to work through or maybe you're going to really disagree with what you're hearing. So I pray that we come face to face with God's compassion this morning. I'm going to close this in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this time today together, Lord. And I, I, I just really, I just ask that you do bring us face to face, Lord, with your compassion. And I ask that we experience it and that as we experience it, it propels us forward, Lord. And I, I pray that, that as we enter 2018, that you send us clear instructions as to where, where our Nineveh is, Lord. And I pray that, that we have strength and that we embrace the compassion to the point, Lord, that we're able to push through running away and we're able to push through being hypocritical and we're able to push through being a comfort seeker, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.